The allure of Christmas has a strange power over us. Even the unbelieving and agnostic seems to love or want to participate in certain festivities around this time of year. It seems like this season has a kind of draw, a type of spirit, or even magic to it. Even in an increasingly post-Christian society. For example, uh, this past week, and I'll share more about this in this trip in the future, but in the past week, uh, in this past week, I was in a specific uh, area of the Middle East, um, and I was shocked at seeing the Christmas festivities all around this area. Everyone loved Christmas. In fact, the big joke around the Christians in this area was, listen to this, even the Muslims, that's a cheesy picture of me smiling that I was forced to take, okay? Um, even the Christians in the area, the big joke around them was that the Muslims in the area loved the festivities and Christmas even more than them. And it was funny because as we went downtown, as we traveled and, and went to certain places, it was true. Like, you saw tons of people taking selfies, ussies, all these things around, all the nativity scenes, the, the Christmas trees, all of these things. They even had a popular meme that was going around in this area that was, how, how many of you guys have seen that meme where it's like uh, two sides of a bus and the one side of the bus is real dark and depressing and the other side is like a hopeful, like looking out the window, really encouraged. It's a meme that's all across the world that's going and they're putting certain situations toward it. They had a meme that was really popular in this area with, again, uh, Muslim people, the one that uh, on the one side, this is like really sacrilegious for them, by the way, okay? On the one side was them all dark and gloomy on the bus, the head down during Ramadan. Okay, but then Christmas activity, they were all hopeful, looking out the window, all excited. That was even the meme that was popular. They loved Christmas. And you got to ask, why does Christmas this season have this type of allure? Even in a society that has tried to empty it of its original origin in Jesus Christ. Why does it seem like there's a certain magic, specialness, uniqueness to Christmas? I mean, is that real magic of Christmas in the gifts and the new toys, the traditions that come with it? Is it in the indoor, warmth, outdoor, snow, the festivities that all comes with it? Or is it with what lies at the very heart of Christmas? What whispers even to our souls, seeking to suppress the truth, as mentioned in Romans 1.8, that the most stunning and significant fact in the history of the world, that it's even possible, the miracle that God himself would become one of us. That the God who created our world and us humans at the apex of his creation came into our world as human, not just for show, but for our salvation. Christmas is supernatural. And our naturalistic society is starving deep down for something beyond the natural. Rarely admitting it, not really knowing why, but still yearning for it. And Christmas taps into something in our soul that even with, when it's inconsistent, with a mind that professes unbelief, 
There is something there and there is something beyond the gifts, beyond the traditions, beyond the selfies and the ussies with what, how beautiful everything looks that God would actually come down on earth to be with us. Because if you look at any and every other religion, you're not going to see that. Why? Look at Matthew chapter 1 as we read of when this happened from this specific gospel and why it is important to know that we serve, we worship, we have a relationship with, and we share with others a God that wants to and is with us. Matthew 1, starting off with verse 18, God's word says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so quickly, and I know we've preached on this passage before, but Joseph, who's engaged to Mary, finds out she's pregnant, uh, not wanting to shame her, but knowing it's not his, his making plans to, to uh, break off that engagement. Angel comes to him in the night and says, listen, this is of God. This is a supernatural conceived from the Holy Spirit and tells him to stay. It says, in fact, in verse 21, angel, angel carries on, says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, prophet Isaiah says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. We see here in this short text, specifically in verses 22 and 23, the miracle of the incarnation. Jesus as God with us. And of course, you see that here in verse 22 and 23, where the angel reveals not only to Joseph, but to us the fulfillment that God is going to come down on earth to be with us. In his famous book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer described the incarnation as the supreme mystery associated with the gospel. He said, quote unquote this, the incarnation is more of a miracle than the resurrection because in it somehow a holy God and sinful humanity are joined yet without the presence of sin. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the incarnation. It's not more important than the resurrection, but in many ways, it can be more unbelievable that a holy God is somehow, some way joined with sinful humanity. 
Incarnation is Latin for becoming flesh. And it's what theologians use to explain the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, to come down on earth as God in human flesh. Now, how do people know God was coming in human flesh? How do they know that? First off, we know and see from what we read even in Matthew 1 right there, the prophecies. There are hundreds of prophecies for the Messiah to come on earth to rescue the world and that being God. We saw this in Matthew 1, 23. The prophet that he quotes right there is Isaiah 7, 14, where he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel again, meaning God with us. Everything from what we're going to discuss a little bit more next week with the Christmas story and the miracle of it, but from the virgin birth uh, uh, of Jesus being a prophecy made hundreds of years before to even other prophecies like, for example, Micah 5.2, which says, But you, O Bethlehem, Epiphath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who's to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, even his birth in the specific city, Bethlehem, where there was no reason or way why Joseph and Mary would be there at that time if it wasn't for prophecies being fulfilled of where the Savior was coming, how he was going to come, and over hundreds of prophecies being fulfilled in that way. You also see how the Old Testament speaks of God and human nature throughout. You see that this is a theme in the Old Testament, how he is personal. He's not too distant like gods of other religions. He cares and he does enter into humanity. Yes, in different ways from what we have with the fulfillment of Jesus Christ. But you saw from the past of how he got, went to God's chosen people to Israel and spoke to them in such intimate ways, meeting them in the temple, asking of certain things through miraculous ways. Now, hearing that, it's still easy to question the incarnation. And this is not to be confused with a man becoming God, but only God becoming man. But it's easy to still be confused about this or to question this because many will believe this is a borrowed idea from pagan mythology. For example, you hear about in certain uh, Greek traditions and, and elsewise, like Hercules coming from Zeus, that it is possible for a god to be in the midst of humans. Uh, there was no knowing in the biblical sense, unlike what is common with those myths or in Mormonism, it was supernatural in the way that we have Christ. But again, past traditions, past religions, uh, false worship, you did see gods of some sort walking around and being with human beings. And so one might question that. Some people question, especially around Christmas time, is Jesus even a real person or just almost another Christmas character? There's lots of miraculous supernatural characters we find in Christmas. Everything from Frosty the Snowman to Rudolph the Reindeer, elves, uh, and gotta be careful here, I don't know who's watching from home, but other certain figures that are a little mysterious and magical during this time. Is Jesus just another one of them? No. We know, we see there's actual historical human beings in this story, like Mary, like John the Baptist, Jesus and the disciples who are in play here. Not 
fictional characters, but affirmed by the Gospels as Jacob did a great job sharing last week. And the proof of the Gospels that this is a historical event and that Jesus is a historical real figure. So in the carnation, God coming down to earth as one of us, as many people that can question that, we know, we see, and we can trust that the eternal second person of the Trinity entered into history as the man, Jesus Christ, to bring salvation to anyone who believes in him. And like the angel says to Joseph and also to us, that is, is recorded and God reveals himself through his word. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken. That the virgin shall conceive, bear a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God with us means that Jesus was both fully man, but also fully God. I want to explain this a bit because there's many that will question Jesus as fully man. How do we know he's fully man? Well, Jesus had a human nature with meanings reserved for I'm sorry, he had a human name, which those different meanings of his name, it was reserved for a deity, a God only. He had an important human genealogy. He had a physical family, a mom, brothers, sisters. He was a certain ethnicity and a certain race, Jewish from the Middle East. It says in the scripture that like any other human, he was man who grew physically, grew spiritually, grew mentally, and grew socially. In fact, I remember there was one particular community group where we got into a long, long discussion afterhand uh, about Jesus being fully man and like if there were certain limits and if he, everything he did was absolutely perfect. For, so, for example, like uh, when he uh, uh, did his woodworking, was there any mistakes in the things he did? If Jesus played baseball, would it be like home run every single time? Okay, like questions like that. He was without sin, but he was human. He was human. I'm sure in his woodworking, it didn't come out perfect every single time. And there was one or two Karens that would come back and say, hey, I got this. Your measurements were off. Okay, he was fully human. He learned, experienced fatigue, slept, grew hungry and thirsty. He had to eat and drink, worked a day job as that carpenter, had friends, both male, female, that he loved, gave compliments and criticisms. He loved children. He celebrated holidays, weddings with people, experienced human emotions such as experiencing grief, had compassion, was stressed, was happy, astonished at times, told jokes, and even the most famous and shortest of scripture, wept. He prayed, he worshiped, and he obeyed just like us, his own heavenly father. He was fully human. And I believe without sinning, again, as human. We also know and believe that Jesus was fully God. That God the Father himself at that time said, this is God. That the demons and the interactions that you see in the Gospels proclaim Jesus as God. He had the power over them like God and only God would. Where Jesus himself said and proclaimed to be God. What he was ultimately crucified for. 
that the Bible says Jesus was God, both in the names that he was given and the attributes that he possessed. And Jesus himself proved he was God. It was only God that can be able to perform the miracles he performed, the teachings that left them in awe, the fulfillment, again, of such prophecies. And listen, people treated Jesus as God. Some of that was when they worshiped him in result of this. Some of that was when they killed him for such heretical claims. But ultimately, Jesus was fully God. And as Tim Keller once said, Christmas is telling you that you can never get to heaven or God on your own, but instead God had to come to you. And again, the mystery, what we question with this, with Jesus, is something called the hypostatic union. That somehow, someway, Jesus has two distinct natures, this humanity, but also deity. These two natures that doesn't intermingle or mix, and yet he is still just one person as fully human and fully God. And so when Jesus became man, he didn't sacrifice his nature as God. His identity identity stayed the same while his role in humanity changed. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, starting off with verse 5. This is how this works. How God could come down on earth, be fully human, fully God at the same time, and how important this is. Verse 5 of Philippians 2 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Read that there. Let that soak into your heart for a moment. Jesus set aside his rights as God and the rightful continual use of his divine attributes with the occasional exceptions of forgiving sins at times, performing those miracles to get a glimpse of who he was in order to be not just, listen, not just human, but to be our suffering servant. It is wonder enough that he came down at all. But when God came down, he came not in human glory and comfort and prestige, but it says, according to Philippians 2, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. He not only came as creature, as the creator, but he came in poverty, in weakness, and in humility. You know, as we talk and think about Jesus as servant, one of the most famous stories of Jesus as servant, as he washed the disciples' feet before taking our sins on the cross. It's one thing to wash one's feet as that example of being that servant. And that was unforgettable. But it was only a tiny foretaste of his true service. Because it was another thing that day to rise from supper, lead those disciples out to the garden, wait in agony for his captors, and walk alone. The most excruciating path 
that that foot washing example of service anticipated. That it would, as you see here in Philippians 2, how he humbled himself, verse 8, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And look what it says in verse 9. Now seeing as that it shows how he was fully human, but look the important significance of him being fully God. Verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's like what church father Augustine had once said. Christ added to himself which he was not, but he did not lose what he was. So to conclude, why did God have to come as one of us? If this is true, and he did come as us, fully man, fully God, why did he have to come as one of us? Well, first, going back to verse 21 of Matthew, it says that angel first said, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Two reasons why God came as one of us. First, what many of you guys know, to save us from our sins. The miracle of Christmas is not just that God himself came from heaven as man. And it's not just that he humbled himself as a servant to meet the needs of others. It's not even just that he came to die, to unfold his service all the way to death. But the miracle is that he came down, did all that to rescue and save us. That is the promise of God's messenger from the time of his announcement in verse 21, that he will save his people from their sins. He came down to rescue us from sin and restore us to the final joy for which we were made, to know and to enjoy him. He came to reconcile us to himself, as Colossians 1.20 says. He came not to supply us with all the bells and whistles of a commercial Christmas, but instead suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, according to 1 Peter 3.18. And listen, God being with us to save us from our sins, that is a personal invitation from God to be with you. That can be made personally when you receive him as your Lord and Savior. When you say and confess, I'm that sinner, the only way this sin can be forgiven and justified in God's eyes is by receiving Jesus Christ who came down on earth as God-man to take that sins that we should be suffering the consequences from. To die the death that we deserve. And he took that upon himself where three days later as God and only God could do, rose from the dead and offering to us as a gift greater gift than anything else that Christmas can provide. Salvation, when we repent of our sin and have saving faith in Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. God 
with us is personal when you receive him as your Lord and Savior. Two, God came to us to model an incarnational mission for us, to save us from our sins, but then as Christians to now live out a similar mission in the same way that Jesus did to be with us. Jesus came into our world, took on human flesh, is God with us to not only save us, but to be a model of what our lives should look like with others to a certain extent. Listen again, no other God would do that, would dwell and be one of us. No other God would do that. And he did that because that is what it had to take to take the sins of us upon himself on the cross to take care of that once and for all so they didn't have to continually sacrifice, have atonement through the temple. But it also is an example of how we are to live and share with others. In fact, it reminds me of a missionary's reasoning for why he was going out on the mission field to people he felt called and sent to, although it was dangerous to move there, although it was dangerous to minister there. But he said, I am moving there because he felt called, sent to, but brought up this quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor during World War II, when he had to choose between living there or living elsewhere. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, quote unquote, I must live through this difficult period in our, natural, in our national history with the people of Germany. I will have no right to participate in the reconstruction of Christian life in Germany after the war if I do not share the trials of this time with my people. Now, I'm not saying that was every Christian's call during that time, but there is something about being amongst the people you're sharing with. There's something about opening up your home and being with others in an incarnational mission mindset. Jesus was a model of that to us. His incarnation. Around 40 times in the Gospel of John, he declared that the Father sent him and he tells us as the Father has sent him, he is now sending us on mission with the Holy Spirit. And church, as we conclude singing and worshiping with one final song, a song that is pretty familiar with many of you as we've played it through the years, God with us. I want to ask you to take this time. I want to ask you to listen to the lyrics. All the reasons why God has come to be with us. And I want you to ask yourself one of two things. Number one, I want you to ask yourself as you're listening to this song, as you're either singing or reading the lyrics and hearing others sing them, that although he has done that, he has come to be with us. I want you to ask yourself, are you with him? Have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior so he can be with you in your heart and life? And if not, I ask you, Will you be willing to give him your life, do that in your seat, or if you're watching from home, to confess yourself as that sinner, repent of that sin, place your saving faith in Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection, and will you receive new life in him? And if you have done that already, number two, as you listen to these lyrics, as you sing them, I ask, 
Will you ask, your, will you ask yourself if you are living out his model of incarnational mission toward those around you? Are you helping bring what we're going to sing, that peace, that love, that light and life by again living in other people's worlds, opening up your home to point them to Jesus who did that with us to be that model and to give us that new life. Again, as we sing, do you need to receive him or do you need to live that out with others, share it with others? As people question Jesus, was he truly God? We know the magic of Christmas is beyond the gifts and tradition. Yes, he is. And he came down to be with us, to save us and to send us. Will you show that to others? Let's pray. Jesus, again, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your model for the mission. And that mission has been accomplished as we have a body of Christ, a church that loves you, that wants to live for you, that wants to share you with others. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone that does not know you, either watching from home, sitting in these seats, whether they've grown up in church or this has been a little bit new to them, as they've maybe seen bad examples of of Christians or Christianity, good examples, that they throw all of that aside and ask themselves, if you are truly God with us, do I have a relationship with you? And God, they'll respond according to how you're speaking to them. And God, again, as believers, that we will live that out and share you with others. God, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. And I pray, Lord, as we sing, as we continue to worship, we, for, we, we never forget the significance of you being with us in the incarnation. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.